Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, we are continuing to record this podcast remotely for the safety of our guests and our team. So, on with the show. Hello and welcome to White Wine Question Time, the podcast that asks its guests three thought-provoking questions, usually washed down over three glasses of wine. And my guest this week she's been described as the mother of British tennis. However, those closest to her would also quite rightly describe her as the queen of never taking no for an answer. Born and raised in Scotland as a young tennis player, she was ranked number eight in the UK and won 64 titles in Scotland. In 1980, she married Willie Murray and their sons Jamie and Andy arrived a year apart from 1986. Having played professionally in the late 70s, she continued to play after having children and was soon teaching her promising young sons and other local children in the area. In fact, she initiated the Scottish Development School Programme, which produced four David Cup players and one Fed player, including her sons. In 1995, she became the Scottish national coach, whilst her sons continued to raise their game, eventually making sporting history as both singles and doubles champions. In fact, get your head around this. This is what her sons have gone on to achieve. Jamie is a seven-time Grand Slam doubles winner and Davis Cup champion, and Andy has won 46 singles titles, which includes three Grand Slam titles, 14 Masters 1000 Series titles, placing him fifth on the all-time list, two gold medals at the Olympics and a title at the ATP Finals. Her contribution to tennis is probably best summed up by her female heroes. Billie Jean King says she has been a brilliant disruptor who's done so much for women in sport. High praise indeed, coming from one that would know. Sue Barker says she's knocked down walls she didn't think anyone could get through. And Martina Navratilova 
Said of her coaching, she can take young players from zero to 100 with no help whatsoever. And there are very few people you can say that about. Now 61, she lives in Scotland and continues to work tirelessly with her tennis foundation, which takes the game to kids in rural and deprived areas, as well as being captain of the British Fed Cup team, where she's helped to grow the profile and numbers in women's tennis across players and coaches. Happily single since she divorced in 2005, she's a grandmother and has also just made a brilliant new documentary series for Sky called Driving Force, which charts her own rise and struggles through the ranks as a woman in sport, whilst profiling other brilliant athletes, female athletes, including Victoria Pendleton, Dame Kelly Holmes and Steph Horton. I am so excited to talk to her. I can't believe she's agreed to do the show. It's Judy Murray. Let's dial her up. Thank you so much for finding the time to talk to me. I have um, I've just finished episode two of uh, Driving Force. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing the number of brilliant untold stories there are when it comes to female sports women and how good they've had to be to even get to where they are now, which is nowhere near, you could say, or you would say, to, to as, as close to their male counterparts. Yeah, we've started a, a long way back. Um, you know, sport, like most of the world, was a, a male-dominated domain, and we were very late to the party, but we're, we're starting to make inroads and the last 10 years or so I think we've we've made huge strides forward but we still have to keep our foot on the gas and we still have to keep going and visibility is absolutely key so series like the driving force which takes 11 of our most successful sportswomen in Britain and tells the backstory of where they started and all the who's and the what's that inspired and helped and drove them to get to the top of what they did because so often we're guilty of seeing the end result or the end performance and never giving a minute's thought to what went into getting to that stage. So I think that by raising uh, the awareness of the great things that all these female uh, sportswomen achieved, we will also raise a lot of talking points around the issues and challenges that still exist for women in sport. And by raising talking points, hopefully we will get some action uh, and create change for the next generation was the show your idea it feels to me like it was very much your idea that you're the driving force behind driving force <laughs> i wish i could say it was all my idea but actually it was the the idea of um tv producer called rosemary reed who is one of very few female tv producers in in the uk and she has um a company called power of women tv and she has for a number of years created in conversations with and documentaries around mainly in America, business women, humanitarians, entertainment industry, but she'd never been into sport before. And she contacted me through a mutual acquaintance to ask if I would be interested in doing something with her in sport. So of course I had to stop myself from biting her hand off because she was speaking my language. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, yeah, I'd absolutely love to because it's, you know, I've, I've been such a big supporter of women in sport and sports women for a long time. And I know how, how much harder it is to make things happen on the women's side of the game in sport uh, than it is on, on the men's, having worked on both sides. Um, so this was a massive opportunity to really create some awareness around just the incredible things that they've done, but also on how hard it is in so many ways to actually get to the top because the world, the sporting world is still skewed towards men. And a lot of that is because, you know, um, 
the key decision makers in sport tend to still be predominantly men and men see the world with men's eyes and they hear it with men's ears so uh, obviously they think of the men's side of things first whereas the women uh, if we don't have a voice at the top table we so often get uh, get left behind or we're playing second fiddle so it's important that we have female voices at the top. You identify as well, there are so many nuances between a male and female sports uh, star and the needs and the responses as well uh, between the genders. Would you be able to kind of walk me through the ones that are the most, you know, that stand out most glaringly to you? Well, I think um, even if you look at what's happened in the last few weeks, um, you know, men's rugby, the Six Nations rugby goes ahead and the women's is dropped. Um, The boys training academies with the English um, Premier League clubs are allowed to go ahead, but the women's or the girls are all stopped. It's like, it's like things like this. It's like regularly it happens that the, it's almost like the women doesn't really matter, you know, and, and leave them to say, let's make sure the men get what, you know, what they want. And when you think about, you know, the challenge that we have with obesity in the country, the challenges that COVID has brought with physical and mental health, the fact that we are a 50-50 population, the fact that, you know, 86% of um, consumer buying is actually done by women, you know, you would think that brands would be interested more on the women's side of, 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 of sport than they currently are. But it is, um, it's so much about visibility and it's so much, you know, of course, like I said, we are catching up, but we still have a long way to go. We still have to keep our foot in the, on the gas and COVID at the moment has stalled a lot of things just when we were getting some momentum. And that's why I think, you know, the, the driving force will help us to talk about that again. But we do need women to use their voices, at, but we also need male advocacy we, we need men at the yeah. top of the field to understand the importance of empowering women within sport not just playing not just coaching but administrating uh, officials decision makers journalists broadcasters we need a more even spread if we are going to encourage more women to get out and get active and the bigger the numbers of course the more chance you have of, of, of those of people climbing the ladder Jamie Redknapp, you talk about the importance of male voices coming to this conversation. He touches upon the fact that in his life, he absolutely believes that he will one day see a women, a female manager lead a Premier League team. Uh, I, I, that actually made me kind of stop and go, yeah, actually, I've never even considered, could that or would that happen? I mean, that's really important, isn't it? But my goodness, can you imagine how hard it's going to be to be the first woman to walk that path <laughs> yeah i mean that would that will be that will happen one day and and that will be a great thing to see but i think it's um you know some years ago now andy took on a female coach amelie moresmo um back in, i think 2014 2015 and she had been a, a former world number one a grand slam champion and for him it was all about her skill set a personality fit because obviously you're pretty much with each other 40 weeks or so of the year um, and and she was absolutely right for him at that time of his development. And he didn't think about gender at all. It was about what she could do. Mm. Um, but it, what it did was it raised an incredible amount of skepticism and criticism. And did it? Yeah, even nasty jibes, you know, from some of the other male players, you know, saying, "Oh, is this a joke? What are you going to announce tomorrow that you're working with a dog?" Yeah, I mean, no. like things like that. It's from other male players. Yeah. Not retired, actually, in the game. 
<laughs> yes, in the game, sadly. Oh my God! It, it is. It's things like that. But we have to be given the chance um, to climb the ladder. You know, so it's all about creating yeah. opportunity. And you know, again, I come back to this thing about you need at the very top of sport to make real big change. It's the people at the top that need to be driving it. And so often the people at the top are men and we need to find a way to get to the top. Um, and often that pathway isn't there or the encouragement isn't there. So you may well be good enough, uh, but you don't get the chance. And one of the things that I, I'm so often saying is that you know, for us to get the chance at the top jobs in anything, we have to be absolutely excellent. Whereas there are many men in top jobs who are far from excellent. And it's, it's you know, being in the minority is, it's tough. Doesn't matter what minority you're in, you're always having to fight to justify yourself. And as a woman, I have often found that the women who do um, stand up for themselves and use their voices and are not afraid to keep coming back and keep, you know, okay, no, 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 but you keep coming, you keep coming. But you get branded as emotional, irrational, difficult, demanding, and you're not. You're standing up for what you believe in. That, that's, that's often been attributed. Uh, all of those, those phrases I've, I've read connected to you, and it feels massively unfair. Um, you know, when you're described as, you know, standing on the sidelines with your, with your fists bunched. Well, who wouldn't while they're watching their children playing in really any game, actually? That's me on a Sunday morning, by the way, uh, and I'm no different. But they would never write that about a father in that position. It The narrative, when I started to look at it through the points that you so eloquently raise, I see it. I see how you've been framed in a completely different way to maybe um, a manager, a coach, uh, a, a male alternative um, in your position? Yeah, very, very much so. Um, I think um, when Andy got to, well, when he played in Wimbledon the first time in 2005, as a, he just turned 18 and um, there were no expectations whatsoever. He was, I don't know, ranked about 350 in the world. He was in on a wild card and he managed to make it to the third round. He found himself on the centre court. He was playing the world number four on middle Saturday, the busiest day of the championships. And, you know, there was royalty in the box. There was Sean Connery in the box. And I was sitting in the player box, just trying to pinch myself, believing this would happen. And being so excited for him and obviously getting very pumped up. I have always loved sport. And <clears throat> sport is competitive. And I am competitive. I enjoy being competitive. But, you know, I found myself having to almost apologize for being competitive. And I went, you know, and what's wrong with being ambitious? Why shouldn't we be ambitious within no. sport? I found myself at that first Wimbledon really being picked out I think partly because we were all new, the, the family, and at something like Wimbledon where there are no ad breaks and the commentators and the cameramen look for somewhere to go and they find you in the player box in a way that if my kids had played cricket or rugby or football, they would never have found me. I'd be lost in the sea of all the other spectators and nobody would ever have seen me. And what I discovered was that you know, the papers and also sometimes the TV cameras, the pictures that they're showing on the highlights reels are always me pumping my fist or baring my teeth. And they made me look aggressive and uber competitive. Um, and uh, from that moment, I was the, poofy, the, the pushy mom. I was, you know, I was, I was overbearing. I was too competitive. Whereas, you know, I always reckoned if I had been a dad, 
I wouldn't have been picked out the same way. I would probably have been applauded for being the competitive dad. Look at that, you know, again, that is acceptable in male in male only sports like football, like rugby. You know, you get really into it. Um, so that was a rude awakening for me, and it was a really tough thing to suddenly find yourself on front and back pages of newspapers and be part of somebody's column tearing you apart for the way you acted or the way you looked or whatever, having never been prepared for that because nothing, nobody prepares you for suddenly being thrown into the public eye and how to deal with it. And often those those pieces were written by other women, which is hugely disappointing. Yeah, I think um, I used to read everything and I, I, my common sense was telling me not to bother that, you know, if it's somebody who doesn't know you, who you've never spoken to, why would you even think about reading their criticism of you but it was all new to me and I realized that actually if Andy and Jamie were going to continue on to be successful within tennis the media and knowing about the media and how to handle the media is part and parcel of it and they were very young at the time so I you know I went off and did a a little bespoke um, three-day PR course to try to yeah, I did, because I thought, well, nobody's going to teach me. Nobody's, I don't have anybody to help me. I I need to know how to manage it a bit better, and I need to be able to help the boys and protect the boys, because certainly Andy at that time was getting pulled apart, you know, for whether it was uh, bad language or he never smiles or he's, why doesn't he get his hair cut or his shorts are too big or it was, or he's got a boring voice. It was just like constant. And that as a, as a parent, that's a really tough thing. That is. And, and really funny how they all stopped saying those sorts of things. Once he started uh, building his silverware collection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But what I got, when the first, the first show in the series, which is available now on for, on Sky, and uh, is really good. Uh, please do go out of your way to watch it, and and sit down with your sons and show that show it to your sons and your daughters. Please, not just your daughters. Show it to your sons too. I'm going to show it to my son, um, who's sports mad, by the way. But what saddened me was as this narrative built, I saw you retreat. So you could see that they were cutting away to you because there were no ad breaks. Um, and you felt overtly visible. So you retreated to the point that when Andy won, which which major tro- which maybe major championship was it that he had to climb through the crowd to find you at the back in the stalls? He had to come and seek you out because that's where you'd put yourself. And when I saw that, I felt very angry for you, actually. You shouldn't be putting yourself in the back of the room when you are you you'd earn your right to watch your son at the front of the house. Yeah, I think that that was at Wimbledon in 2013. And the the player box at Wimbledon, um, it's the only Grand Slam, it's the only major tennis event where both sets of players, their families and their teams were in the same player box. So it's a 36-seat player box. Each player gets 18 seats each. Now, I had sat in that player box a number of times over the years including 2012 Wimbledon final where Andy played Federer. And there is no more uncomfortable place to be than sitting somewhere where half of the box is shouting for the other person or as you perceive it, shouting against your child. It is absolutely, it's horrendous. It's the only, I can't imagine it happening in any other sport that they would mix the supporters up. Anyway, having having endured it the year before and made me feel like I couldn't do what I wanted, you know, what I wanted to do. Um, 
because we were in such close proximity to the opposition, I thought, I'm going to take myself out of the player box. And I went several rows back and I sat on an end because I don't like sitting beside anybody. So if I sit on an end, I only have to sit beside one person. I don't speak to anybody. (laughs) Nobody speaks to me because they know I don't want to talk and don't don't, uh, eat crisps, don't chew, don't touch, don't comment. (laughs) Total focus. I get it. Quite far back, and um, and 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 as you say, you know, Andy started to climb up through the crowd, which is quite a hairy thing to do. You know, yeah. it's like deep and lots of people, and and he climbed up, and of course, everybody was in the front bit of the of the player box, and I was I was quite far back, um, and I I really did. I just thought I can't go down because I'll just get criticised again for being the pushy, overbearing mother. Look at her trying to push herself in. Why doesn't she leave him alone? He's 20 whatever he is now and it was all those years of being cast as that made me feel like I couldn't do it and I didn't and it was when Andy started to go back down again and um and the crowd started to shout at him what about your mom and uh, and he came back up again and and I felt like I could go down because the crowd were telling me to go down but that it, it's an in, it's an interesting one because when they took me back for the series when they took me back to the player box and I was explaining all that I realized then you know that was ridiculous that I felt like that but that was that was how it was and I think you know I think the media you know people have to <laughs> realize what they're doing when they create these opinion pieces or these pictures of people that are actually so far removed from what they really are because you know in an individual sport like tennis the onus is very much on the parent to make everything happen. You know, if my kids had gone into a team sport, the club would have been responsible for kit and training and fixtures and travel and all the rest of it. And in in an individual sport, the parent has to make the whole thing happen. And when they get to an excellent level like that, you're responsible for your own business. So if when they're young and they needed to concentrate on what they were doing on the court and in the gym, I was taking care of all the logistics and the personnel and the budgets and the sponsors and making everything happen in in those very early days. But nobody had any understanding of that. And that's another reason why the telling of the backstories is so important for people to understand it, but also for other parents watching or other coaches watching who have a special talent on their hands. There's so many things you need to know that nobody tells you about, nobody prepares you for. And it's the same the whole way through the driving force. Lots of things that the girls weren't prepared for. They were prepared to perform on the pitch or the the track, but not for what suddenly happened with you become successful, you become famous, you're in the public eye. How do you deal with that? The, The loss of privacy, et cetera, et cetera. I wanted to pick up on something uh, that you say a lot, as do all of the other female athletes that you feature in Driving Force. And that is the phrase, if you can see it, you can be it. The importance of role models, they must be visible. It's hugely uh, important when it comes to inspiring the next generation. Um, So I wanted to know for you, who were your role models and game changers who helped to create a path for you to walk and subsequently what doors do you think you've helped to open for other women in sport? That's a good. It's a good question. <clears throat> when I was when when I was young and uh, an aspiring young Scottish tennis player, um, you know there wasn't tennis on the TV apart from Wimbledon. So you got two weeks of black and white TV, 
And, you know, I love Billy Bean King, Chris Ever, Martina Navratilova, Steffi Graf, a little, a little beyond them. But when I was very small, it was the black and white and it was Billie Jean King was, was the one that, that I enjoyed watching. Um, now I still have to pinch myself a lot that she is a friend of mine, um, that we've worked together um, on her with her Philadelphia Freedoms team last summer in World Team Tennis. I've done a number of panel things and Q&A things with her. And um, I, I still think back to sitting on the sofa watching her black and white with her specs with my mom and just being, oh, she's amazing. You know, and that, anyway, it's just, I would never imagine. I mean, at, at that stage, you were playing, I mean, you were, uh, would, you were playing then. You won 64 titles in Scotland as, as a youth and senior player. Um, but at that point when Billy was kind of top of her game in black and white TV, where would you have been in terms of your own tennis and, and progression? Yeah, I was probably in my, in my early teens and tennis was very much a minority sport in Scotland because back then we had no indoor courts. So you played tennis in the summer and you played something else in the winter. I, I, I played badminton in the winter, but nobody ever aspired to be a great tennis player. And therefore nobody really aspired to be a great coach because you just couldn't do it all year round. It was just a summer month sport. So although I watched her on the TV, I would, I might have had a dream, but it would have been a pipe dream. Um, because that's all you would see was just Wimbledon. You wouldn't see, I mean, nowadays you get wall-to-wall -wall tennis yeah. and other sports on the TV. And tennis has been so fortunate because of what Billie Jean King and the cohort, the original nine they were called, they were nine tennis players from 50 years ago who broke away from the tennis tour because they were sick of the men getting 90% of the prize money and the women getting 10% and having no say in anything. I mean, to, to the point that Billie Jean King, I mean, she 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 stood her ground and she refused to to take to take the title. And without her putting her, her racket down, so to speak, women wouldn't be where they are right now. Yeah, they were so incredibly brave and um, pioneering back then because... You know, they, they were out, the nine of them, the nine women players, they promoted their own tour. They sold the tickets out in the streets themselves. I mean, it was incredible what they did to, to start it off. But they absolutely stood their ground to say, we're not having this. You know, it's a man's world and we are good enough, and they were, to be watchable. And it's, it's a, I mean, it, it, is, it is one of the many reasons how I, I, I still admire so much Billie Jean because she doesn't just stand up for equality gender equality in tennis she stands up for equality and fairness in everything now and she did and she's 77 and she's still using her voice and she's still making her presence felt and she still makes a difference and yeah she she's absolutely remarkable um in that but but you're right what what she and the other women did way back then 50 years ago they had a celebration this year to celebrate those 50 years it created what became the, the women's tour the women's tennis association mm -hmm. and tennis pretty much a 50 50 sport at the top level in terms of prize money endorsements opportunities sponsors and visibility so it's that if you can see it you can be it because be tennis it. is all the time bums are on seats sponsors are there it's way ahead of most of the other sports for women because of what she did. I don't think I don't think female football, for example, could be where it was if somebody like Billy hadn't used her platform. And when we talk about platforms now, we forget that. I mean, she really did have a platform back in 1973. 90 million people 
tuned in around the world to watch Billie Jean Kim um, literally wipe the floor with um, former Wimbledon champion, who was something of a chauvinist, uh, Bobby Riggs. And she literally played him off the court and it was dubbed the battle of the sexes, which, I mean, that match, that must have, that must have meant so much to you and other women in, in sport in terms of showing them that we, well, women mean business or can mean business. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, Bobby Riggs, he was he was quite a loudmouth, um, show-off type of a guy. Uh, so he's the perfect person for her to take down. But, you know, he took a massive risk because she may not have won. And then it would have been an absolute disaster. Um, but, yeah, she's she's done so much to sh- sh- showcase the the women's side of of her sport and the importance of giving women an equal opportunity um, to do whatever they want within sport because it's not just about the top end. It's actually about opportunities to participate, opportunities to compete, opportunities to administer or lead or officiate, um, which is what I was talking about earlier in terms of the female workforce. We need a much bigger female workforce. And, um, yeah, she's she has used her voice incredibly successfully. And so, yeah, she's definitely is the person I still look to as the inspiration for somebody's got to do it. You know, if we don't make a noise, nobody hears you. As she tells me that all the time. And if they don't give you a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's great. I mean, at the time, you know, the the year of the Battle of the Sexes, the year previous to that, that's when she'd really stood her ground alongside those other players. She'd she'd won, was it the US Open? Um, yes, it was the US Open. And um she'd received fifteen thousand dollars less in prize money than than her than the men, men's champion. And and she said, That's it, I'm not playing next year unless the prize money is equal. Now, that must have made her I mean, could you imagine how I, I don't even want to say unpopular, just to stand out and then so much to live up to if she doesn't then go and if she does then go and compete again and doesn't win and you know she must have been feeling that weight of responsibility for all women in sport at that moment put your money where your mouth is quite literally yeah she's she's incredible I mean she always another one of the things that she says that I use a lot is pressure is a privilege and she absolutely soaked up the pressure and she is the reason why women's tennis is so way ahead of other women's sports in terms of its visibility and and the the money that is attached to it. Now you speak so beautifully of her. She has quite a lot of nice things to say about you too, Judy. Um, is this 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 must be kind of almost like a kind of Yelp pinch me moment when you start to hear the women that you've cited as your game changers talking so. So glowingly of you, she says um, that you have been a brilliant disruptor in the game, not just of tennis, uh, but you've done so much, not just for tennis as a sport, but for women in sport. Coming from her, that does that start to feel slightly like you've taken the baton and, and run with it? <laughs> um, I've certainly taken her lead on, on a lot of things and I've certainly drawn a lot of inspiration from, from her. And um, I think... Uh, if we all do our bit in our part of the world, uh, in whatever it is that we feel strongly about, 
then we can all change the world for the future or change the female sporting world for, for the future. And, and certainly that's what, what I've tried to do. I mean, there's a, a number of things that I do and they're the things I feel passionately about. So building a bigger, stronger female workforce across Britain um, for tennis coaches, but not just coaches. We want more women, uh, you know, running competitions, running fun days, helping out in the clubs. Um, so it's about creating a big army of women who share a passion for our sport, bringing them together and sharing, training, encouraging, supporting, finding outlets to place them into where they can work. That's one part of it. And my other part, of course, is in Scotland, um, where we've had a visibility around tennis through what Jamie and Andy did that we never, ever could have imagined. So really setting up my own foundation to take tennis into mainly rural and disadvantaged areas so that many more kids, teens and adults can have the chance to play because it's always killed me that tennis has this elitist tag that it's just for people with money and it's all about posh clubs. So I teach people how to deliver tennis in whatever space they've got available. I don't care if it's a car park, a school playground, a church hall, show them how to get others started. We don't need a net. You have barrier tape with a couple of chairs. We can have chalk lines. Um, So that's a huge thing for me. And I get an enormous amount of enjoyment out of that because why shouldn't everybody have the chance to try it? If they can see it on the TV and there's no court anywhere near them, make your own. It's what I used to do with the kids in the garden. See something on the telly and they go, oh, let's go and try that. And you just make your own. Creativity, outdoor, exercise, all of these things that are so good for us within a family. Well, Martina Navratilova, who you cited as one of your heroes, she said of you that you can take young players from zero to 100 with no help whatsoever. And that in her experience, there are very few people who can do that. I mean, as a badge of honour, I really hope you've got that on a t-shirt somewhere, Judy. <laughs> I think I might do that. I was very kind of Yeah, I think... Um, you know, in, in 2008, I think it was, Jamie made the final of the mixed doubles at US Open. And he was playing with Liesl Huber, who's um, a South African turned American, who's a great friend of Martina's. And I found myself watching this final, sitting beside Martina, who, again, like Billie Jean, would have been somebody that I'd just watched on the TV. And we sat and watched this whole match, and she analyzed everything. She asked me questions about everything. And we became good friends after, like from that point on. Um, and I've, again, I've done a lot of things with her. She knows very well what, what I do. But she also understands, I think, from where we came from, you know, very small town in the middle of Scotland with no track record of success in tennis or the country didn't. And she knows she knows the path because she came a tough path through the Czech Republic and, and, and ending up in, as an American citizen, a very difficult route that she came through as well. Um, so she, she gets it. She understands how difficult it is to negotiate that journey, you know, for all sorts of reasons, whether that's finance, time sacrifice, understanding expertise, being a woman in a man's world. And um, so I think she knows how tough it is. And I mean, I know how tough it is because I did it, but I'm so willing to share that journey and any advice or tips with anybody who wants to to listen but she 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 knows what I do I do a lot of work with the WTA which is the Women's Tennis Association I'm one of their uh, community ambassadors so they take me to some of their big events overseas and I do all the workforce build or clinics for kids clinics in schools 
when it's for sponsors, if necessary. But I go out into the sticks, I go out into the disadvantaged areas. So we're really spreading the word. But my main thing is if I can teach people how to teach tennis with passion and love and fun, make it doable, make it stimulating, that the fun is the most important thing, then you get if you have more people delivering, you have a lot more people able to play the game. So that's a lot of what I do now. And of course, she knows she knows that she's come and joined in with one or two of the things that I've done. So yeah, she, she knows the kind of stuff that I do. Just talk me through what it's like to end up becoming friends with the likes of Billie Jean King and Martina Navratilova and Sue Barker, um, who who must have been idols before they were friends, uh, certainly in the case of Billie and Martina. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, Sue, I've got to know um, really through Andy's and Jamie's successes um, at Wimbledon. And Sue was a big part of Andy's documentary. Um, she's just, I mean, she's just such an easy person to get on with. And she's so brilliant at, at what she does, you know, at, at her broadcasting job. And um yeah, she's also a very private person. She's not so involved in tennis out with what she does work-wise. And so actually for her to take the time to do that on my part of driving force was was a lovely thing um, for me. And she, she came from uh, Torquay um, in, you know, the far southwest, you know, in a very kind of remote Tennessee part of the world but she there were indoor courts at the Palace Hotel in Torquay when she was little you know posh hotel had some courts and there was a coach there called Arthur Roberts who was an amazing coach and he brought a stable of mainly girls through to the top level of of British tennis and Sue obviously internationally and she knows the importance of local coaches who nurture and spot the talent and spend the time because you know Devon that's like, it's a bit like Scotland, you know, that the, there isn't anything there, but she she knows because she came from that environment. So she knows the importance of, um, you know, of local coaches um, as, as well. So it was, uh, it was great to hear her, her talking about me like that. Loved it. How long did it take for the thrill to wear off when you see your phone go and it says Billie Jean King? <laughs> well, actually, um, I've not, I've obviously not been able to see her this year, but you know, spending um, spending a week or so with her last year, last summer, working with her world team tennis team, and really getting to know her quite well. A lot of lot of dinners out, a lot of um, you know panels and Q and A's and so forth. And she's so amazing to listen to. And I'm sitting there sharing a kind of a sofa with her, and we're chatting about all sorts of things and laughing. And I. I really still, I think it's with her because she's my absolute shero. I still think I'm having dinner with Billie Jean King. I'm doing an event with Billie Jean King. How did this happen? I think it's as a woman thing, we, I, I, and I, I, I hope I'm good at it as well, is that spotting people who are trying really hard to make a difference and mm. spending Positive change. Being positive and praising, we're often not good at praising each other or building each other up. And I think certainly in the sporting world, we have got to do that. We've all got an experience or an expertise that is valuable to somebody else. So if we can, each of us, where whatever we work out, you know, if we're the, the club coach or the teacher in the school, if we can put an arm around somebody else and nurture them and be at the end of the phone to, to get advice, we can make the sporting world a better place for many more women. And just as you um, can identify the impact that she's had on not only tennis, but sport uh, 
sport in general for women. I remember having conversations with my son very recently. My son's 12 and he's football nuts. And we go, you know, every Sunday we, we play in the, the 11 aside and there's always girls teams playing. And he has never not known that. And I had to explain, because he said to me, mom, what position did you play at school? And I said, no, we didn't play football at school. He said, what, nobody? And I said, no, the boys did, but we played netball or hockey. But why? And it baffled him. And I loved the fact that that caused him to scratch his head and go, but hang on a sec, because he doesn't see the disparity between gender, because that's at his grassroots level, that's not there right now. So you can see that sea of change and the tides washing in and out on that and it making uh, it making a positive change. Yeah, definitely. The, the world is a it's a different place now. And I love that story that, that you just told because having listened to, you know, Steph Houghton uh, last night and some of the contributors to her story were telling, you know, that in their day, girls weren't allowed to play in teams. So it was almost like, well, you can be really, really good and really skillful and everything, but actually there's no girls team. So at 12 or 13, you're in a, you're in a women's team if there is one. And then, you know, again, listening to Steph talking about when she was 14 signing for Sunderland, and what did that actually mean? Well, what it meant was we trained on a Friday night, we had a match on a Saturday, we washed our own kit and we trained at home. We did our own thing during the week because there was no real setup in the same way as there was for the men. And listening to her now at, you know, in her early 30s and talking about being a key part of the Man City and England setup and what is on offer for her at Man City in terms of support setup, it's like it's worlds away but it you know that's been 18 years but she can look back and she knows what it was like and she can help to prepare the next generation for don't take it for granted you know you've got to work hard because yeah. this one is there and at some point somebody could take it away from you I hope they don't but um yeah I think the, the world is a different place but we have to keep our foot on the gas and I do believe very strongly in we do need a much bigger, stronger female workforce across sport. I hate the tag of, of, of it, us being kind of labelled as overtly emotional, but you have to acknowledge that we are um, far more emotional, especially because we have monthly cycles and that has to be acknowledged and not apologised for. Actually, we are different and and let's understand those differences and, and work out how everybody can, can work with that. Yeah, I, absolutely. Um, I couldn't agree more with that. And I, I think it is starting to happen, but it's it's just quite slow. I think there was um, the US women's soccer team when they brought in an expert to help them deal with, um, you know, they've got a raft of 20 or so uh, women trying to prepare for a World Cup. They all have menstrual cycles at completely different times from each other, and that needs to be managed in order to get the best possible performance out of them so that it's not, I've got pain, or I'm dizzy, or I'm uncoordinated, or I'm in a bad mood, or whatever. If you understand how to manage it, you can help them to effectively perform through it. Absolutely. And I, and I would hate for anybody to kind of listen in on this and think that in any way you're being anti, anti-man, anti-male. This isn't about that at all. Yeah. Um, and, and again, quite often a conversation like this can get lost um, to that argument, which would be a grave shame in so many ways, because as you touched upon, we kind of we need men to carry the conversation with us. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I mean, I, but I think, you know, the way I looked at it was when I was looking at, at, at tennis, at the tennis workforce within the UK, we're about 17% female and 83% uh, 
male. So actually, although the women coaches need to be educated, informed, supported, we need to help the men to understand how to work more effectively with women and, and girls. So that's another thing that um, that I've been a part and parcel of is saying, how do you adapt your content or adapt your communication when you're dealing with different age ranges of girls and helping them to understand that how you say something to a boy, the boys will just shrug it off and get on with it. Whereas the girls will be like, you know, sh- you know, shrink into themselves. And yeah. It is. It's a raising of, of awareness of the differences. And I believe that that should be a fundamental part of any coaching qualification right at the start is outlining the differences of working with girls and boys. Get it right in there, right at the start of the of the coaching journey. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You have achieved and changed so much and achievement and change are two very different things and both equally important. But I wondered, certainly as you sit here now, is is there anything that you want less of in your life, having spent so long striving for more and for change? Is there a part of you that's just like, oh, I just want to rid myself of, I don't know what, what would you like to kind of have less of in your day to day life? I hit 60 last year and it was one of those moments where I thought I'm getting into what uh, Jane Fonda calls the the third act. And uh, yeah. and I thought, <laughs> you know, I've been working in tennis all of my adult life and uh, I've worked really hard I'm, because I love what I do and I've never lost my passion for it, which is a great thing. But you definitely do get to a stage where you think, 
right, I need to pass the baton a little bit here um, to create more time for myself. So I think that that's what I'm, I don't think I'm going to be very good at it um, because <laughs> I'm so used to always being busy. But I think that I, I do think that's something that I, I, I want to do. I want to be able to spend more time with my, my family um, and my grandchildren in particular. Um, but I think that for me, the women in sport thing is the thing that I will continue to use my voice and to try to help or persuade or bring a group of younger than me women up to be the next the, the next generation of of spokespeople for for women's sport. Yeah. I think really incredibly important that we pass our experiences on and as we spoke about before it is so important to know that there's somebody on the end of the phone or 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 the end of an email that you can if you need a bit of support you're a bit unsure about something that you can just go can you help me with this um and that you're there just to listen or and and lend support i'd I'd quite like to continue doing that further down the line as a a kind of kind of like an obi-wan kenobi yeah (laughs) I I, we, I I use the expression um, "keep your ladders down" so that you can help the next generation up, um, <laughs> and I, and I think that's so important because um, I, I you know I'm, I'm not sixty, but I certainly have got hit, hit a point in my life where I've, I've I figured much the same. It's like I want to I want to use what I've done to help um, others, but I want to do a little bit less actually, and and being more present as a parent. Um, and just just addressing that imbalance because you can literally spend your entire life working. Um, so I made decisions like rather than send big long text messages, I'll just send a voice note. You would be amazed at how much time you spend you save. Does that does that resonate with you? Yeah, it definitely does. I think um, lockdown for me the first couple of months, I loved being forced to stop and just chill out and slow down and not have to get on a flight and not have to pack a suitcase. I loved that. Um, now that we're kind of eight or nine months into it, I'm like, oh, I can't wait to get yeah. the flight again. We want to pack. You don't need to put hammer and tongs at everything and you don't need to try to be all things to all people. It's like there are, you get to a stage where it's somebody else's turn to have a go and that's certainly what I'm feeling about on the tennis side. I feel like I've done my bit and actually maybe that's the side that can be parked a bit and, I, and I'll stick to trying to support the the women in sport because I feel we've got momentum I feel we need to keep our foot on the gas and I would love to just be there as a a, a voice at the end of the phone or the end of an email or a voice message to yeah. anybody who's, who's trying and maybe having a bit of a, a bit of a struggle and did you what did you learn in lockdown when you stopped and were forced to stop what did you learn about yourself I think I think I I, I definitely learned that I've been far too busy for far too long and actually to just being at home enjoying the countryside around where I live exploring the countryside appreciating what's on my doorstep and realizing that I've been too busy to do that you know moved house about a year ago and had never would never have had the chance to explore around where I am which is beautiful without that lockdown and that's made me appreciate things like my bike you know going out on my bike swimming every day because I can um and so I think for sure um definitely doing less and doing less with more quality rather than trying to doing less better yeah doing less better yeah less is more that's what they say I think so you know sometimes when you get to the end of the day and 
your phone is telling you that you've spent nine hours or whatever oh, on yeah. a Really? I mean, I use my phone for pretty much everything, but when I go for a swim or when I go out on my bike, I never take my phone with me. And it is that complete switch off time that it's it feels like an absolute luxury. And yet it's the most simple thing, isn't it? Fresh air, exercise and just time to think for yourself. When your kids start off in a, a sport or when you start off in a job, I mean, I started as a volunteer coach at our local club and kids were tiny. Um, I never imagined that that would end up becoming a career for me. I just sort of went bit by bit. I never imagined that the boys would end up becoming what they became. We just went, okay, what's next? Okay, now I need to do that, I need to do that. And, and then it all kind of happened. But nobody prepares you for the parts of your life that that takes away, the success. You know, the, the, the family times, we've been talking about Christmas a lot. You know, we rarely have a Christmas together because the demands of the tennis circuit are that the boys have to be in another country usually over Christmas because the circuit starts on the 27th of December in Brisbane or Doha or you know so normal family times are are one of the things that so often has got sacrificed because of the route that they've gone um and those are the those are the things you think I'd really like to have more of that kind of time but um, I think if I cut back on what I do, then I create more time for me to be able to go with them a bit more. And then people will start criticizing me again. Why didn't you leave them alone? <laughs> and you're absolutely right. I don't care anymore. <laughs> when did you hit the screw you age? I'm really fascinated. That was probably mid 50s. Really? I think that, yeah, I think maybe some, maybe, maybe, maybe early to early 50s, perhaps. I think you definitely get to an age and stage of experience and maturity where you just go, you know what? And I think this is a, wo a woman thing as well. We spend so much of our lives trying to please other people, trying to be what we think somebody else expects us to be, worrying about what people think of us. And actually, you know, I think when you do, when the light bulb hits you that you don't need everybody to like you, you only need your friends and your family to like you. <laughs> Really, we also have to remember we don't like everyone, so why should everyone like you? <laughs> yeah. I think it's, it's absolutely, it's absolutely that. So, yeah, definitely, it comes with, um, definitely, it comes with experience and maturity. But, and, and I think also when you see, you know, you're going into your third act and you're thinking, right, this is time for me now to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, and with whom I want to do it, and. Um, I rather like that, and I know as well that the great shock in in in, the, in your past, and 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 I don't want to bring this incident up um, for any other reason that it it, if it brought about a great change in the way you thought was um, Dunblane. The day your children were at the school, the day that so many so many children lost their lives. But you have said since that 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 in the aftermath of that, that gave you the courage to strike out and seize opportunities, chase them down in a way that maybe would you have otherwise? Yeah, I mean, I guess you, you never know. Um, but yeah, that was, a, 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 of course, a hugely significant moment in in my life and all of our family's life and everybody who, who lived in the, in the town, of course. Yeah. And whoever would have imagined would happen on your doorstep in a, a, a very small town in the middle of, in the middle of Scotland. But I think it really, for me, really opened my eyes to the fact that 
we don't know what's around the corner. You know, we have no idea what what might happen from day to day. And I think realizing that, you know, my kids survived it. The town, of course, everybody needs everything needs to go on. Life needs to go on, and it definitely gave me that kind of carpe diem, I suppose, moment. Yeah. Where I went, Wait, you know why not? You know, if we want to do this, let's do it, you know, and let's make things happen. Let's not just wait. And yeah, definitely, definitely changed the way that I thought. Maybe not immediately, but certainly in the weeks afterwards and creating opportunities for the kids in the town through the stuff that I did at the tennis club became an even focus for me because it's a safe place for them to be. Um, where they just loads of other children loads of other parents helping out it's a massive community uh enterprise and great spirit in there and that became a big a big focus for me also quite healing in so many ways to come together and just just to try to percolate some joy in in amongst these young minds that um you, you have no idea at the time how they've impacted uh, that incident has impacted them no, you don't. And I think I've said many times that I was always very grateful that Jane and Andy were really too young to understand the enormity of what happened. Um, and I think as they got older, you know, especially when there are anniversaries, significant anniversaries, that they have become, especially now Andy has his own children, much more aware of, of that, which they weren't at the time because they were too small. My final question to you, Judy. Um, I don't know. I mean, it kind of flies in the face of what we've just discussed, which is about kind of slowing down, doing less, better. Um, but there's a, there's a brilliant website that I found, and it's called ceoemail.com. And it gives you the email address of CEOs of all the major companies out there. Um, so it kind of like a hot knife through butter enables you to, to take something to the top. And you're a woman that's had to do that many a time. I just wondered... If you had to email maybe one or two CEOs to affect change, who would you email and what would that change be that you were campaigning for? Well, you know, I was I, I did something with Seb Coe the other day and he was talking about, um, you know, he heads up world athletics and he was saying that athletics is pretty much a 50-50 sport. The women can do all the disciplines that the men can do. And what he wants by 2027 is in his manifesto that the workforce in athletics will be 50-50 split. And what's it at the moment, do you know? I think it's about 20. I think it's around oh. 20. Not 100%. Yeah. Um, but not quite, no, nowhere near 50. <laughs> so, you know, in a seven-year period, a plan, you know, if you have an end point, you work back from the end point, what has to be in place at each of those times. And this is all about attracting women and creating opportunities for them to learn, get involved, be in creating enough key positions for for women on the steps of the ladder, all the way up. And this is, you know, whether that's whether that's coaches, technical officials, physios, fitness trainers, administrators, decision makers, board members. And I loved that because it was male advocacy. It was a plan. It was it had a timeline. And I thought, there you go. There's a sport that recognizes that 50-50 in terms of 
competitors, probably 50-50 in terms of its fan base, and actually our workforce needs to be much more evenly balanced. And I, I think that um, if I could email to whoever is the chief exec of British sport, uh, that all government <laughs> actually looked at, at replicating what he's replicated in athletics, that would be a wonderful, wonderful achievement. Well, with Martina in one corner, Sue Barker in another, and Billie Jean King, I don't. Th- I think you 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 guys are quite formidable, and uh, you've you've got the you've got the best wing women on board to help you to make that that dream a reality. And it's been a real pleasure um, talking to you, Judy. Um, an education and an inspiration. And I know you. I know that you want to do less, better, but don't stop smashing down those walls. <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Oh, it's been honestly it has been a pleasure talking to you continued success with the series um these are really important stories and as i said at the beginning of the show sit down watch them and watch them with your sons and your daughters um and and let's see how they take that story forward because it's a story that needs to be pushed into as many years as possible you're welcome. Nice to talk to you. Thank you so much for listening. White Wine Question Time, as always, is produced by me, Kate Thornton, with Michael Bartlomovich for Yahoo UK. Co-producing and editing is by Callum Goddard-Mucklow. Music, as always, is provided by Andy Bell. His back catalogue with Ride, Oasis and his solo material are all available on iTunes and Spotify. That's it for this week. We'll be back next week with more great guests. Until then, please look after yourselves and try to do as we always do. And please drink responsibly. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.